Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning. And good morning to all of you who are watching Facebook Live. Sorry, you got to look at this. <laughs> I want you to, t- just for a moment, imagine the, the biggest fail of your life. Maybe it was a financial fail or a moral fail or a spiritual fail, marital fail, whatever it was. All of us have those things where we've, we've done something that we're not proud of, things that if it got out, it could be scandalous or could destroy our reputation. And now I want you to think about whatever that is and imagine that in detail being put into a book that everyone could read about for centuries to come. How would you like that? Yeah, I don't think anybody wants that. I think the single greatest gift that God gives us is forgiveness. Every one of us have failed in some measure or the other. I mean, there would be no salvation, obviously, without forgiveness of sins. There'd be no relationship with God if there was no forgiveness of sins. There would be no entering into heaven unless there's forgiveness of sins. There would be no usefulness to the Lord if there wasn't forgiveness of sins. We wouldn't know release from guilt and shame if there was no forgiveness of sins. The greatest single thing that God has ever offered to man is forgiveness of sins through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. When Moses was leading the people out into the wilderness and he was getting to know God, he asked God to reveal Himself to him. And God described His gracious, sin-forgiving character this way, I am the Lord, the Lord God. I am merciful and I am gracious and I pardon iniquity. The prophet Micah asked this question, Who is a pardoning God like thee? Forgiveness of sins, cleansing from sin, is the single greatest gift that God has ever offered to mankind. All genuine believers are going to experience times when we are overwhelmingly aware of our own sinfulness and all who love Christ and long to serve Him and long long to obey Him, will upon occasion find ourselves behaving in a way that is an actual denial of the very Lord who bought us. We don't want to. It's not in my heart to do that. But I find at times my behavior, my speech, it denies the very Lord that bought me. I want you to to look in Matthew's gospel. I hope everybody brought a copy of the scriptures. You need it. Matthew chapter 26. We're going to look at the scene of the Apostle Peter's greatest fail. And we're going to see it on the pages of scripture. And then we're going to see how it applies to us. If you have a Bible, please open them up to Matthew 26, 
verse 69. Now Peter sat outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I I don't know what you're saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied it with an oath and saying, I do not know the man. And a little later, there stood by, there were those who stood by, came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. And then he began to curse and to swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And so he went out and he wept bitterly. There is the greatest fail of Peter's life. And unlike your fail and my fail, his is put on the pages of Scripture and has been analyzed, scrutinized, criticized for all the world to see century upon century upon century. We don't want that, but Peter has that. I think few believers in Scripture have ever sank to the depths of sin that Peter did on this occasion in Matthew 26. But if we really want to understand the passage that I just read, we really need to back up because woven through the events of the arrest and the trial of Jesus Christ is this denial of The Apostle Peter. I mean, it's been coming all along. It isn't as if it happened spontaneously. There are reasons why it happened, folks. And if we back up in the text, we can trace a sequence of things, several elements that led to this fail. The first thing in verse 31, and I'm just going to give you one word right in your notes, pride. Now, the background is, is Jesus and His disciples have just observed the Passover meal in the upper room where Jesus gives new meaning and significance to that meal. For countless hundreds of years, it had served to remind Israel of their liberation from Egyptian bondage, the the blood from the lamb that had been put on the doorposts of their home, the miraculous deliverance through the Red Sea and all of that. And Jesus in that upper room says, this is now the blood of a new covenant, my blood in the new covenant. He says, the bread is my my body which is broken for you. And Jesus gives it an all new meaning and significance. And, And this is in their minds as they end the night And verse 30 says that they sang this hymn and they've gone out of that upper room and they're on their way to the Mount of Olives, a place that Jesus often frequented. It was a place of prayer for Him. And as they're going towards the Mount of Olives, Jesus says something that just comes out of left field. You ever had somebody do that? Completely out of the conversation, where in the world did that come from? That's what happens here because as they're walking along thinking about what Jesus has said, they've just sang that hymn, Jesus tells the men that are following Him, all of you, verse 31, shall be offended because of me this 
night. As he's going to the Mount of Olives, Jesus predicts that they're all going to forsake him in the midst of his trial. And then he quotes from Zechariah, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. And then what he does in verse 32 is he predicts his own resurrection and the restoration of his scattered disciples. But after I am raised up again, I will go before you into Galilee. They're going to forsake him in the moment of his greatest trial, but it won't be the end of the story because he will be raised again and he will restore them to himself. Now, having predicted their defection, Peter responds in typical Peter fashion. Verse 33, Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. I mean, Peter cannot imagine any circumstance, any difficulty that would cause him in any way to defect or to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. There was no pressure that could be that great. So he basically, in essence, says, <laughs> You're wrong, Lord. You ever told God he was wrong? Yeah, Peter did. Pride, right? In verse 31 to 33, we just see Peter's pride. But we see the second word, that's defiance. In verse 34, the Lord said, truly I say unto you. Now, wait a minute. In verse 33, he was speaking to all but now I want you to notice that it's personalized, directed at whom? Peter. Truly I say to you, Peter, that this night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And in verse 35, we see Peter's defiance. And Peter said unto him, Though I should die with you, yet I will not deny you. And so said all of the disciples. I mean, his courageous verbiage just sort of swept everybody else up. And all of the disciples said the same thing. Ditto, Lord. And in verse 34, Jesus had used this very strong verb in the Greek that means to completely deny. And Peter just can't accept that. Mark's gospel, as he records this event, says that Peter vehemently protested this it wasn't a mild protest it, he says I, I will i will die first which is the ultimate the most extreme act of courage so peter's pride he boasts and then he he just simply defies the word of the lord you're wrong jesus of all the times i've known you this is the first time you've ever been wrong imagine so they move on. We don't get any more of that conversation. They move on towards the Mount of Olives. They enter into the Garden of Gethsemane. And he came to his disciples and he found them asleep. And he said to Peter, what about the others? There's, there's ten other guys. And Judas obviously isn't there. But, but he said to Peter, what, you couldn't watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. That you enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Folks, they all should have been praying, right? But let's face it. Smug, boasting, self-confident disciples don't pray because they don't sense their need to. 
They've reached the point of invincibility and they were in the situation uh, where they thought themselves to be absolutely invulnerable. I mean, what was there to pray about, right? And so they're indifferent to the need to pray. And the Lord goes back to pray a second time in verse 42. And in verse 43, he returns, he finds them asleep again. In verse 44, he returns to pray. And he comes back a third time in verse 45, finds them asleep again. He says, are you sleeping now and taking your rest? And at this point, Jesus could already see Judas and the band of temple guards. It was said there was a detachment. It could have been as many as a thousand people coming with torches. And they were also, according to one gospel, they were carrying weapons. They were expecting or anticipating there might be a rebellion. And they came ready to squelch it. And as he can see them coming up, and so he gets his disciples up, these soldiers, these priests are coming up the slope towards them. The disciples are sleeping through it. The disciples were spiritually overconfident and indifferent to the reality of the attack because they, they were so boastful. And in verse 51, we, we, we catch Peter's impulsiveness. See, Peter is so confident at this point, so defiant and so indifferent that now we find him as a result of all of that acting absolutely on his own. Verse 51 says that one of those who was with Jesus, now Matthew's kind, he doesn't say who it was. John's gospel, John, by the way, is Peter's cousin. He names him out. He tells us it was Peter who drew out a sword and attempted to, well, he was going to give this guy a splitting headache. He winds up taking off his ear. A man by the name of Malchus who was a servant of the high priest. Peter isn't not isn't acting under the instruction of Jesus at this point. Peter acted impulsively because he was being controlled by his own ego. His own supposed courage and feeling of invincibility. I mean, Jesus was standing next to him. Picture the scene. Was standing next to him and he knew that Jesus had the power to triumph over this mob. Because this gospel doesn't tell you, but John 18 says that this mob came up and Jesus said, whom do you seek? And they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And the entire mob fell backwards to the ground. Now, if I was in that mob, let me just digress. And I heard him say, I am he. And I couldn't help myself but fall over. I'm turning around and going home. Anybody that can speak with that kind of power, I'm, I'm out of here. But Peter, all that does is embolden him. Oh man, I've got this. It's, you know, I can do this. So he draws his sword and he tries to kill Malchus. And Jesus says, put the sword away unless you want to die by the sword. In other words, if you take a life, they have the right to take your life, Peter. That's the biblical law. And, and by the way... Don't you know that if I needed it, I could get 12 legions of angels from the Father? But then how would prophecy be fulfilled? Okay, so Peter is simply trying to show everybody that he is as courageous as he claimed to be. But he's completely out of sync at this point with the plan of God. It was his boast, his pride, his defiance, his indifference, and his impulsiveness that finally led to his fail, his collapse it was inevitable because of these prior attitudes. So in verse 57, Jesus is taken away. The disciples scatter. But verse 58 says that Peter followed him afar off 
all the way to the high priest's courtyard and sat with the servants to see the end. Peter comes in and he wants to see the outcome. He should have known the outcome. The, the Lord had told him enough times. He had ears to hear. He just wasn't listening very well, right? Now I want to say something at this point because I, I, I've always appreciated Peter and, and, I, and I, as I study him and look at him, I go, him and I have a, a more in common in terms of opening your mouth and putting in your foot. But I want to say this. Let's at least credit with this fact. He just couldn't walk away from Jesus. He just couldn't let go of Christ. His love for the Lord was real. It was weak, but it was real, folks. And he just simply had to see what was going to happen. And so consequently, he just basically enters into the lion's den, just totally ignores the prediction of Christ that he was going to deny him, puts himself right into the hot place of where it's going to happen. Now the Lord was inside before Annas, the priest. And perhaps Peter could even see him at some point. And Peter is outside sitting in the court. The other, the other writers tell us that he was sitting by the fire. It's about 1 a.m. on Friday. And the whole trial, mock trial, is going to last about two hours. And in this two hours, Peter is going to hit rock bottom. By 3 a.m., which is the cock crow time, it's going to all be over. And Peter sits warming himself, sort of inconspicuously, trying to blend into the crowd, staying close enough to find out what happens, but not so close so that he's exposed, right? But then it happens. Verse 69, Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. It's actually the word for damsel. This, this, this servant girl is the word damsel. It just means to she's a young girl. She could be in her young teen years or even younger. We don't know. Uh, John says that she was one of the maids of the high priest who was the portress at the door who cared for the door. So her big chore in life is to open and close the door and give entrance to people or allow people to go out. That's her big chore. Not a real high position in the palace home of the high priest. But she sees him and she says, you were with him. You were with Jesus of Galilee, verse 70. But he denied before them all. Whoever else was standing around when she said that, I don't know what you're saying. Folks, this is the guy who just a couple of three hours before said he would die for Christ. This is the leader of the twelve. He was given the keys of the kingdom. He's a privileged man. He had witnessed countless miracles that Jesus performed. He was one of the three insiders with James and John who went up into the Mount of Transfiguration and saw the Lord peel back His flesh and see His glory speaking with Moses and Elijah. What an incredible event. He has seen Jesus in His resplendent glory. This is not some new convert. What in the world is he doing denying Christ? Peter is a living illustration of a principle given by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Let him who thinks he stands Take heed lest he fall. Peter thought, I can stand. Ain't, ain't no way I'm going to fall, right? 
One writer says this about Peter. His own sense of confidence became his undoing. It took only a little door maid to fell the chief of the twelve. Gone were all his high and heroic comments to Jesus. Gone was his courage that supposedly existed in his heart. And now there he was, the arrogant coward, unable to confess his heavenly Lord, cringing in lying denial. He was afraid of being arrested. His self-preserving instincts took over and he denied what he knew was really true, end quote. Your character and my character isn't manifest by what you prepare to do. It's manifest by what you're not prepared for and how you react to the unexpected, the unplanned. In this latest bizarre thing that's sweeping our nation, how you respond to it reveals something about your level of trust in the Lord. We should plan but we should trust. Isaiah 26.3, He will keep in perfect peace them whose mind is stayed upon Him. Hallelujah. Your character is what shows up. We can all plan for those spiritual experiences to some extent, but folks, it's those things that catch us off guard and reveal the real weaknesses of our heart that tell us who we really are. It's how you respond to adversity that shows what you're really made of. It's what comes out of your mouth at that time of frustration. Peter was caught off guard. His involuntary reaction was one that showed his character to be weak and sinful. It was the result of a strong ego, unwillingness to listen to the word of the Lord, a failure to pray, acting utterly on his own impulse and independent of the purpose and plan of God. He was on his own and on his own he was weak just like you and I are. Verse 71, And when he was gone out to the gateway, or it could say onto the porch, he's changed his location. Luke 22:58 says after that first encounter with that little girl, he just says after a little while he went out onto the gateway or under the porch. So, I mean, after denying the Lord by the fire among the temple guards, he can't just go out immediately, right? If he, if he does that, he's going to look like a liar. So he just kind of hangs around, plays it cool, talks about fishing, whatever, it doesn't work because verse 71 says no sooner had he changed locations that another maid, young girl, saw him and said to them that were there, this guy right here was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And Luke tells us that when she said that, that there was a man alongside her that also confronted him. In verse 72, and again... He denied with an oath. I don't know the man. <laughs> he's angry. He's embarrassed. He's frustrated. He's afraid. He's confused. He's trapped. And his denials are getting more vehement, aren't they? Because this time he doesn't just lie. He double lies. He lied in that he lied and he lied in that he said he didn't lie. 
right? He lied in his lie and he lied in his oath. I pledged the truth before God. I don't know this man. It's a double lie. Peter is vehemently denying him just like he vehemently told the Lord, I won't deny you. And he even brings in an oath of truthfulness that he doesn't know Christ. It's a second denial. And folks, frankly, it's worse than the first. And verse 73, and after a while, Luke tells us that it was an hour later, there came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely you are one of them because your speech betrays you. He's walked around jibber-jabbing, enough for them to pick up on that Galilean twang. And they recognize, you're not from around here, are you, boy? You're, we recognize your speech, your, your dialect. You're, you're, not, you're with him. You're out of Galilee. Now, Peter has just sort of milled around for about an hour or so, but now the two hours are up, and, and he gets into enough conversations that they recognize this. And verse 73 says, they, this is not just a few, this is a group now that has come to Peter. The pressure is, get, is mounting. It's not some isolated thing where some little girl comes, hey, you were with him, weren't you? No, I don't know who you're talking about. Now it's a group of them. According to John, John's gospel as he records this incident of, of this denial, in John 18, 26, John tells us that the spokesman for the group of those who approached Peter was a relative of Malchus. You remember the guy whose ear Peter cut off? <laughs> Woo, wait a minute. I was just talking to Malchus and he says, you look very familiar. But Peter now hits rock bottom, folks. This is, this is the fail. This is where he finally grounds out. Look at verse 74. Then he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. Cursing basically means to pronounce death upon yourselves at the hand of God if you're lying. It's not... Not necessarily profanity like we think of somebody cursing, though it may have involved that as well. But it's basically, hey, if I'm lying, let God strike me dead, right? May God kill me and damn me if I'm not speaking the truth. That's what he's doing. And to swear simply means to pledge your truthfulness. So on a positive side, he says, I pledge my truthfulness. On the negative side, he says, may God kill me if I'm not speaking the truth. Folks, this is how far Gone he has become. He's lost all fear of God, all sense of reality. First a single lie, then to cover up a single lie, a double lie, and then to cover up a double lie, a flurry of lies with curses and swearing. And notice it says in verse 74 that he began, which is to say it, it didn't just happen once. It began and it must have had some continuity. He just kept it up. I'll be getting louder and louder with each one. Just a courtyard away. Because now he's moved, he's moved to that other location. Now he is in a particular area where he can look through a door. Just a courtyard away stands Jesus, who's been rejected by the world, sold by one of his disciples, and now is being denied again and again and again with curses and swearing by the leader of his own group whom he called to him, follow him. Verse 74 continues, and immediately the rooster crowed. 
as soon as he said that, Luke tells us this, Matthew doesn't. But Luke twenty two sixty one says, at the moment that the rooster crowed, visualize this in your minds. Jesus turns and he gazed at Peter. And Peter's looking in at him. And at this point, it had to have been excruciating pain. He looked straight into Peter's eyes with a gaze. And the Lord was just saying, Never mistrust what I say. <laughs> what just happened is what I told you would happen, Peter. If I say it'll happen, it'll happen. And at this point, Jesus' face is already covered with spittle. It's been battered. It's puffy. It's bleeding. Chunks of his beard have already been torn out. As he looks into the eyes of Peter... who delivered the blows of denial that are infinitely worse than any fist could have ever delivered. An indescribable moment of pain for the Lord. And I think for Peter. How did it happen? How can it happen to you and I? Self-confidence. He felt he could handle anything. He could follow Christ anywhere. His own warm feeling and affection would be enough to make him able to handle any circumstances came down the pike. It's all good. But folks, it was self-confidence. He thought he could stand. Proverbs 16, 18. I wonder if he thought of this. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But not only was it self-confidence, but there was insubordination. The Lord told him twice. This is what you're going to do. And he denied it both times. That's like telling Jesus, you're wrong and you're wrong again. You really don't know who I am, do you, Jesus? I've been with you three years and you still don't know me. No way that's going to happen to me. Lord God of the universe, creator of all things, you're wrong. He didn't take God's word seriously. He rejected reproof. He ignored the voice of the living God, just like a believer who reads it and then goes out and ignores it, just like we do. We know how to make our families work. We know what God's word says about how a man should be a godly man and a woman a godly woman and how to make our marriages God-honoring, and yet we read it in the Bible and we go out and we live stubbornly, hard-headedly, pridefully and do our own thing. We're insubordinate and we wonder why our marriages are falling apart. Wonder why our children aren't responsive. Wonder why we go through the things we go through because we're not submitting to the Word of God. But the third step was his prayerlessness. and He slept instead of praying. Jesus said, can't you watch and pray for one hour lest you fall into temptation? Your, your spirit's willing. Your flesh is weak. Right? Spiritual neglect. He had omitted an essential spiritual duty and that generated this downward impulse. Spiritual indifference leads to ruin, right? A lack of prayer leads to disaster. As one man said, seven days without prayer makes one weak. And fourthly, the next footprint into this pathway to denial was his independence. He acted on his own. He didn't need to seek God's will. He didn't need to ask the Lord what to do. He acted on his own. Therefore, he got himself into a situation that was disastrous to him. And then the last step 
on that pathway was compromised. He followed Jesus in and he goes right into the lion's den. He sits by the fire. He mingles with the crowd that was an enemy of Christ. I wonder if he thought of Psalm 1-1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. He walked in, he stood around, and he sat down. He took his place in a compromising way. Spiritual self-confidence, thinking you're invulnerable, insubordination, prayerlessness, independence, led him to compromise, and compromise led to his collapse. And in verse 75... Then, then he remembered the words of Jesus. I wonder what it would have been like if he would have remembered the words of Jesus before verse 69 and stayed out. But the second thing, after he remembered it, it says he went out when he hit the exit. And then the third thing he did was he wept bitterly. That would be... Such a sad, sad story if, if it ended there, but it doesn't. I want to take you back prior to the Passover dinner they shared, back further than that to something Jesus told Peter. In Luke twenty-two thirty-two, Jesus said this, Peter, Satan desires to have you. And I want to say something to you, family. If you know Christ Jesus as your Lord, Satan desires to have you too. He wants to steal your peace. In the midst of this mess that we're engaged in right now, he wants you to, to, to run screaming madly in panic in all directions. He wants to take your joy. He wants to destroy your home. He wants you. But I like the rest of this. Peter, Satan desires to have you, but... I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Folks, the reason that we stay in relationship with Jesus Christ is not because of something we've done, but because of the Lord who holds us. He didn't hold Judas because he never had Judas. But he held Peter. And Peter's Faith did not ultimately fail. The story isn't over. Yeah, I have failed. So have you. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews that the Lord ever lives to make intercession for us. I am held in the firm grip of God. And I love what happens after the resurrection. Some women... Go to the tomb, and there's an angel there who tells the women that Jesus has risen. And then they, the angel tells the women this, and I love this, but go tell his disciples and Peter. In other words, singling him out again must have been encouraging when the lady showed up and said, The Lord is risen. The angel told us to come tell you, but especially you, Pete. I was told to make sure you got the message. That Jesus wants to meet you in Galilee. There must have been, a, there must have been a, a spring of hope rise up in that man's heart. Because he was still living in the throes of his failure. But when that woman came in and said, an angel told me to tell you guys to go to Galilee. And especially you, Peter. He wants to see you. 
I think hope sprung within his heart. Hope rose from the ashes of his failure. <laughs> Jesus meets with, meets with Peter and the other guys. And in the course of the conversation, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Agape, self-sacrificing love. Peter knows that's not the case. Boy, I bragged about how I'd die for him sacrificed my life for him he knows better lord peter used a different word lord you know i phileo I, I have a brotherly love for you i don't have he can't use the same word jesus is using and then jesus says feed my sheep simon do you love me and again jesus uses that strong word and again he can't bring himself to use the same word he says lord you know i love you but he uses phileo again i have a great fondness for you and Jesus said, feed my lambs. And just when Peter thought, well, that's, that's, I wish he would stop talking to me. <laughs> Peter, Simon, do, Peter, do you, do you have a great fondness for me? Jesus grab, grabs his word. Okay, if you're not going to meet me where I'm at, then do you have a fondness for me? At this point, Peter breaks. <laughs> he said, and listen to this, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You knew I'd fail. You know how I feel about you, even when I don't display that. You know, that encourages me because sometimes I don't live like I love Jesus. I know you guys always do. Am I in good company? But take heart. Jesus knows you love him, even when you sometimes fail to live it out. Because he says to Peter, feed my sheep. You know what he's doing? He's asking Peter three times to confess his love because Peter three times denied he knew him. It's a way of bringing Peter back. He reaffirms him. And let me tell you something about the God who takes failure and offers you a future. And this man, as you well know, <laughs> the Lord brought him back accepted Peter's testimony, put him back on his feet, put him back in the ministry, and he became the great proclaimer of the gospel in the early church. Folks, God is in the business of giving grace to sinners. God is in the business of restoring the fallen. God is in the business of picking up the person who's even denied him and who have shown himself to be weak and then putting them in a place of strength. I'm glad we have a God of forgiveness. The single greatest gift that God has given humanity is forgiveness through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. If you go to 1 and 2 Peter, later in his life he would write two of the epistles that have found their way into your Bible. If you read through 1 and 2 Peter, Peter talks about self-confidence. And he says, you ought to turn yours in for humility. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. <laughs> he talks about insubordination and calls people to obey the word. He talks about prayerlessness and quotes Jesus and says, watch and pray. <laughs> he talks about compromise and he calls for faithfulness to death and how we should be ready always to give an answer to every man who asks a reason for the faith that is in you with meekness and fear. Not proud, not pride, not arrogance, not self-confidence with meekness and fear. Be ready. 
He learned all of these things through his failure. That's why it's in the Bible for us to look out over the centuries so that we can say, I have failed Jesus that way too. The only difference between me and Peter is you don't get to read about it every time you open the newspaper. We can sum up Peter's testimony of this occasion in his life, this low point, because he closes his second epistle out. Second to the last verse. Look what he says. You therefore, beloved, seeing that you know these things before, beware, lest you also being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. <laughs> I have been there, done that, Peter said. I've been there. Hold on to your steadfastness. Beloved, don't do what I did, verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a story. This week, for some reason, I got off on, I was chasing down a thought, and I began to, and, and, and I only say this is one of those weird things that preachers do. I, I got off on a mother goose nursery rhyme thing, and I don't know where, I, somebody said something, and I thought, that's just horrible. Rockabye baby in the treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock, and when the bow breaks, the cradle will fall. Down comes cradle, baby and all. Oh, that's comforting to sing to your child. I thought, Mother Goose, you're sick. But then I thought of Jack and Jill going up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown. Jill came falling after. Yeah, horrible. What's wrong with you, goose lady? And then there's Humpty Dumpty, who sat on a wall. You know what? It's kind of like Peter, huh? Just set up on that wall, all proud of himself. And we build these walls and we're so proud of ourselves and perched up there high. But what happened to Humpty Dumpty? He had a great fall. And the king, he sent all of his men, all of his horses, and all the king's horses and men couldn't put him back together again. I submit to you today, Humpty Dumpty went to the wrong king. Because I have a king who, when I fall, can put me back together again. He can restore you in your brokenness. And if you don't know him today, he will save you. You're not so far gone. If you're listening on Facebook, you're not so far gone that he can't save you. And I don't care what you've done, believer. If you've denied the Lord grossly in your conduct and in your speech, come back to Him today. Because we serve a God who specializes in restoring people who have fallen and denied His name. Let's pray. God, what a joy it is to know that You care and love for us. I'm just overwhelmed. Every time I think about it. I can't fathom the love you have for me, a sinner. But time and again you come and you put the pieces back together again and you keep using me in ministry. And I know there are others here today who think they've gone too far. They're living in the throes of a failure and they need to come before you and ask you to restore
the joy of their salvation, to restore them to usefulness. And Lord, I know there is perhaps some just watching this live on Facebook right now, and they're in tears because they know, they know they need to repent and give it back to you, and you can restore them. Father, as we walk out of this place, help us to be people who don't deny you by our, our words. I know we're living in fearful days, but let not fear conquer our faith. May we walk with wisdom, but Lord, may we also trust you no matter what. Use us for your glory and your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.